So do you recognize that picture up on the screen? No, Pastor Herring, I'm, you weren't even born yet. Your, your mom and dad were like seven and eight when that commercial came out. I know. Well, it's insult to us. <laughs> but we got to cling to something that's important about being older. 50 years ago, July 8th, this, the most famous commercial, that's what it's touted as, aired from the, they filmed it in, the, in a hillside outside of Rome. They tried to do it in England, but the rain and the fog got them, so they moved over to Rome, got people from all different races that they could find and, and religious backgrounds. 1971, and Coca-Cola filmed this commercial, and I would bet that if you are 40 and older, you could almost sing it with me, and you might want to, to save yourself. <laughs> I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I'd like to buy the world a Coke and keep it company. It's the real thing. Da 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 da. <laughs> I mean, really, can you? You'll never forget it, right? Uh, the the ditty was actually penned way before Coke got a hold of it by a guy named Bill Backer. And uh, it was showing the heartthrob of people in, the, in 1971 that were seeing all of the unrest of the 60s and the psychedelic ways of the 70s coming. And they were like, we got to find, you know, the, the truth. I'd like to just buy the world a home, decorate it, make it peaceful, sit down, and let's just talk about love and truth is really what Bill Backer was saying. Coca-Cola got a hold of that and they thought, man, we'll just make the centerpiece buy the world a Coke and sit down with a Coke and do that. And they, they got 100,000 approval letters right after it came out July 8th. And they, they skyrocketed above all other sodas. Here's the irony. Soda pops anything but the real thing. <laughs> Any nutritionist will tell you that it's all bad for you, right? It's the real not thing. But... What they're tapping into is a, a, something that is a common denominator for all people. It's ubiquitous, even if you're an atheist. You want truth and you want love. And, and is it no secret then that those are the two concepts that grow out of the Bible, even said in tandem with one another by the apostles about Jesus and his message that they believed in. Those 12 guys that gave their lives for the faith in Jesus Christ believed sincerely that they in 13 with the guy that wrote what we're going to study he's the apostle Paul that they had discovered the real thing and every age all the way back to Adam and Eve getting lied to at the tree every age every person is always dealing with trying to filter what's really the truth right even when you're from, you start to leave home about 14, 15 years old, you go off to high school more, you're away from mom and dad, you're starting to try to filter, is what my parents tell me the truth or is what my friends or their parents or the teacher in the classroom that has a very different philosophy, is that the truth? And you, it's a, it's, it just seems like life is this wandering, looking for the truth. And we all know what love is. You can forget a name, but you can't forget being loved. You can forget a face. 
She can't forget being loved, right? And you know what love is and you want and you crave love and it's, it's, it's a common denominator. And these apostles that lived with Jesus and the apostle Paul who had Jesus come to live with him after he had risen, they experienced the truth and love of Christ and his message. And they gave their lives for it. In fact, Paul gave his life long before he gave his life. In his 60s, he gave his life early to the service of the gospel. As far as he could tell, 100% of his waking moments. He's, he, he is the, the, the biggest missionary the world has ever seen. And he started churches all over the North Mediterranean basin. It's the only place he got to live. And so he ran around there doing as fast and as hard as he could because he knew he was only going to be here for a short time like all of us. And he wasn't going to waste it watching TV. Just teasing. There's no TVs back then. He was out doing mission work. He started a church in Corinth, Greece. In his second missionary journey, he, he came up over on a map, he came up over from Turkey and down around into Greece. And he, he stopped in Athens, Acts 17, and then he got to Corinth. And he stayed there 18 months for him. And as a missionary, that was a long time. And a bunch of people who had been living aimless lives and they were looking for the real thing, they found Paul's message to be the real thing. His message about Jesus, whom he had not seen except in supernatural appearances himself. He'd spent time with the other 12, especially Peter, right? And he's, he's telling everybody about this Jesus and his message. And people's lives were changed from aimless to direction and from no foundation to having a foundation on them and to no faith to belief in the God who created them and loved them. But Paul moved on. He didn't move on though like, oh, he, like he disconnected himself from them, but he moved on to start other churches. And so the letter you're about to see a portion of is him staying connected to his church in Corinth because after he moved on, the, the devil tried to take away the faith of the people that he had taught. Their, their culture was that they had a lot of speakers and philosophers and teachers. They were close to modern times like we are, right? Ours are mostly, most of the time, it's kind of weird to be out on the street corner, right? But most of the time they're in a, they're in a college classroom, right? Or they're in a, now they're in a, an internet site, right? They're, they're somewhere out there, TED Talk and all the other ways that, that people are communicating, right? They're often peddling their ideas for a price and for influence that they want to have and that all becomes kind of a thing that makes you apathetic about all messaging because you're like what is the truth right there's fake news about fake news about fake news you know how do you ever know the truth the corinthians had the same problem they just didn't have the technology and these these guys came to town and said you know that guy paul that was here he is a weirdo. He doesn't have letters of recommendation from any university. He's rough around the edges. We've heard what he said. He can't even put an intelligent Greek sentence together the way we can. They talk that way about Paul. And Paul didn't care so much about what they said about him as what it would do to the church if they thought he was a liar. Because if they thought he was a fool and a liar, even a sincere mistaken man, they would lose their grip on the real thing. 
So he wrote this letter. And for, for today, we just have a few verses from the end of chapter 2, but it is a deeply personal letter. It's the most personal letter Paul has written. If you want to get to know the guy that wrote, wrote half of the New Testament, the best, read about him in the book of Acts and read 2 Corinthians because it's deeply personal. He talks about himself and his motives, but he's doing it so they keep the real thing, which isn't a bottle of soda pop. All right, let's look at the verses. You'll have it in your bulletin. It's on page nine. It's going to be on the screen too. We just say what God says. That's what Paul is saying. Look, I'm just out there saying what God says. I'm not trying to peddle my own message. So here's what he says, verse 17. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Remember what I said. He wasn't so concerned about what they said about him as he was about what would happen to their faith because people would doubt his message if they doubted him. So he felt like he had to tell them, look, <laughs> I'm, I'm out here making tents and nets for fishing to pay for my way. I am not charging anybody for my messages, which is something they did in Greece and a lot was people would charge for their lectures. Nothing wrong with that. But Paul says, to show you that I'm all about just the message that's from God, I don't do that. I support myself. And I'm out here not peddling the Word of God, and I'm doing it sincerely. In other words, I don't have a message out here that I want you to have, but I have a private belief in life that's very different from it. What you hear me say, I fully believe to be the truth. And I'm coming to you from God with his message. Now, when you heard Pastor Herring read Peter's message, the other guy, the two guys of Acts, book of Acts, Peter and Paul. Peter, he said, came before the same group that condemned Jesus and had him crucified. And you, heard, you can read it on page five of this worship folder. He says, you killed the Christ. I mean, this is the guy that denied even knowing him to save his skin, right? But he goes, and, and then he said something that to, they, were, they were in Greek society. They were Jews who looked for signs. They didn't believe in miracles, most of them. They didn't believe in the supernatural. God raised him from the dead. And they'd want to say, well, show us him. And it's like, he's already ascended into heaven. He had messages, Peter and Paul, that were, the, the truth and the power was so real to them. And Peter had seen it all. They would die for it, even though the skeptics would say about them, ah, they, they won't show you Jesus. They say he rose from the dead, but he's not real. And they stood by it because they knew it was real, even though skeptics said it wasn't. You know why? Because they knew and believed it's what every soul absolutely needs. There's something in the Bible called the natural knowledge of God. Everybody has it. Agnostic, atheist, they all have it. You can bank on it. You have it. You know there's something bigger than you that created all this. He's called God. And you know you're accountable to him. Everybody knows it. We come along with language and we put words to it, but everybody knows it deep down. You don't have to have words. 
It, God, the, the, the truth of the Bible and the truth of Jesus and the truth of the apostles is that God created all people to be in his image, to be holy. And you know it. You know that the target in life is to be good. You're supposed to be good. You don't wake up going, Every, I, I'm going to try to be bad. If you do, you know that's, a, that's the, a criminal mind that's got lost its way terribly, right? You know you're supposed to try to be take a Take a politically liberal person and a politically conservative person, and they're both in their own understanding trying to be what? Good, right? Unless they're just a total uh, criminal mind and self, uh, dis, they're, they're not sincere and they're a liar. You know you're supposed to be holy because that's the good that God wants. And you know you're not. You might defend yourself. You might talk about it. You might talk about those people on the other side of the aisle, but you know you're not holy. Everybody has double standards. Every single one of you do. And you know you're going to stand before the Creator. And He has the right to ask what gives? Why'd you do that? You knew better. I put my law in your heart. I, I gave you people teaching and preaching. I got great parents, great godparents. You know, what gives? Why are you doing that? Well, you know what? Hello, here's an announcement. He is going to judge you. When your life is over, your soul, you're going to be before the creator of the universe and he's going to judge you. That's what Peter and Paul are saying. That's the message that Paul says he spoke with sincerity. Um, he had, remember I told you how he came down into Greece? He, he stopped in Athens. Remember how I said if you want to know about the Apostle Paul's life, go to Acts. Go to Acts 17. He stops in Athens right before Corinth. And we get the sermon that he gave there. All the stuff about Corinthians, the word ministry in Corinth, in Acts is just telling you, like you're talking about church. We went to church today. We saw Casey get baptized, you know. But Acts 17 is like a summary of the sermon. And this is what he said, Paul, the guy that wrote this to the people in Athens. You can assume he said it in Corinth too. God made everybody from the whole universe and set the exact time and place that they would live. You didn't choose when and where you'd live. And he appointed one man to judge all people. Jesus Christ, and he proved it by raising him from the dead. Hello, is that what we've been saying here, right? Is that what Paul's saying to the letter of the Corinthians? In Christ, I teach you a message with sincerity. You and I will stand before God, the Son, Jesus, and be judged. The Father has given Jesus the judgment. That's really good for you. <laughs> I'm going to say something that sounds heretical. If God the Father didn't have Jesus, you and I are in a big problem. Later, Paul would write the Romans and say, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father praying for you. <laughs> and, it's, and it's in a section where he says he's praying about having died for you. The guy on the throne is the guy on the cross. The guy you're going to stand before is going to say, what gives is the guy that died for the sins that you committed that caused him to scratch his head about you. He just wants you to believe in him. That in truth, he loved you. You want something that unites all people? The Apostle Paul, long before the most famous commercial ever was written, he wrote 
in Christ there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, Scythian, barbarian. He wrote that to the Corinthians in another place. Remember the people on the hillside singing of all different races? They're trying to bring the world together in the 60s and 70s. Here we are 50 years later, we're in the same problems, right? What's the unifying thing? It's not a soda pop. It's a Savior, Jesus Christ. Every soul is accountable to Him. Nobody is better than another. All are going to stand before Him someday, the past before the judgment seat of Christ. And He already paid for their sins. And in our lifetime is our opportunity to hear it and believe it and let it change our lives. For this life and the next. To believe He's our Savior. So that when we stand before Him, and we will, we'll be looking at the one that we believed in for these years of our lives. But we get to see Him. We won't be afraid, but we'll be honest. Right? And we'll be forgiven. Because we already are. And that's what we believe in. Paul says, Look, Corinthians, that's what I taught you. Someone's coming to town telling you I'm a fake and I'm a charlatan and I'm a silver-tongued smooth talker. Whatever. I, I just came and told you about Jesus. So look at the next paragraph. This is really cool. The, the, what, they were, what the Corinthians were saying was, Paul, we remit, these new guys came to town. They told us something that we had forgotten. You never came with letters of recommendation from the University of Athens or the University of Corinth. You didn't come with any letters of recommendation. What are your credentials? You're just some guy going around talking. And we suckered for it. This is what Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we, me and my friends, do we like some people need letters of recommendation to you or from you? Do we need you to give us letters? Oh, this guy, we'll vouch for him. And then we need to go. Do we, are we that way? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. This is what he's saying. You are the real thing. We are the real thing. I came to town, a real person, with a message about Jesus, and you believed it, and it changed your lives. And you're the real thing. And we, you're in our hearts. We go to the next town, we tell them about you. If you read Thessalonians, he, that's just north of Athens. He's telling them, I'm telling the world about you. I can't believe it. I came to town, and three weeks I was there, I preached the gospel. You took it as the word of God and not the word of men. Same culture, same area, just a few miles apart from here to Georgetown. And uh, he says, you, you, uh, you, you believed our message. And you're different. In 1 Corinthians, this is what he said. This is uh, the second letter. First Corinthians, he says, when I came to town, some of you were prostitutes. Some of you were sophisticated thieves. Some of you were foul-mouthed selfish and rebellious but he said not anymore because now you're Christians and you you're, you're not perfect but you fight those things out of love and truth that's what he told them that's what he's saying here 
you guys need letter recommendation about me? I came to town and your whole life changed because I told you a message. It wasn't even mine. I spoke it from God and it changed you. It's the ministry of the good news. That's what it does. It doesn't make bigots out of you. It doesn't make I'm better than you out of you. It makes humble, loving, and truthful Christians out of you. And that's what you are. It's got the power to change lives. It's the real thing. I mean, haven't we in this little church of all, in all the Milu of our lives, we're all out there, we're, some of you travel the world, you know, haven't we experienced together the real thing? I mean, weren't you thinking something like that when Chad was baptizing Casey? It's a real thing. We know Chad and his real sincere faith. We know, Casey, we know Emma and her sincere faith. I'm thinking to myself how cool it is if you get to baptize the dude that's dating your daughter. <laughs> I mean, like, that would have been his chance to say, now I'm going to stand up here in front of everybody and say, take care of her and all that. None of that. This, yeah, he's gonna, we're going we're gonna to wash your sins away and you'll never hurt his daughter. <laughs> yeah. It's the real thing though, isn't it? It's just, it's just Christ. It's just the gospel. We're just real people, right? But it's the real thing. It's the letter written on our hearts, right? And when Eddie gave him that huge hug, I mean, didn't you almost cry out there? It's like, his godfather's been his godfather his whole life. I said to Chad before church today, I said, now let me get this straight. Casey's a college student or you're graduated and you're almost, you're a senior and and this guy's coming, he's his godparent? I mean, don't we have godparents when they're little babies saying, make sure they grow up? Then I met Ed in the faith, and I met Ed, and I thought, oh, he's been making sure he's growing up in the faith, right? Been godparent the whole time, right? It's the real thing, not some soda pop. Uh, Paul's got one more thing to say, and then we're going to be done. I want you to look at this last paragraph, and it has to do with competency, such confidence. Now, by the way, it's hard. What takes your confidence away more than anything else is criticism, right? It's easy for me to preach to all of you. You're Christians. You're here. You're wanting to hear, hear the message. You came willing. You dressed up. You drove over. You're sitting down, right? I'm not out in the open air trying to defend the faith against very articulate pagans right now. So I'm feeling really confident. But man, put me in a setting where I'm in all that, and it's hard to be confident. Paul lives in that world. He's a missionary. That's what he does every day. In Athens, they ran him out after he had that speech I told you about. And a few people followed him and said, we believe the rest. were like, nah, you're full of it, right? He lived that way. So now that the Corinthians would criticize him is nothing new. And he holds strong. He goes, our competence isn't because we're smart from some college as we used to say in East Texas, from an education, <laughs> Our confidence is because of the gospel. So he goes, such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us confident as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. For me, as a teacher, the best way to take this paragraph is from the bottom up. 
He says, our message is not of the letter, it's of the Spirit. The letter is the law. That's what he means. It's all in the context of that passage. Go look it up. The letter of the law. He goes, in other words, we're not just a bunch of moralists teaching you how to be good. If we were, we would, you'd still be bad enough to stand before the judge and not have salvation. We're here to tell you about Jesus. He goes, Our, ours is a new covenant, not the covenant of Judaism without Christ, which is all law. He goes, that letter kills. You can have the, the, but you can have a soft law, I call it, of the liberal religious people in America, many of them calling themselves Christians who say Jesus isn't, the historical Jesus isn't really real, he didn't really rise from the dead. All you got to do is know that Jesus' great message was love. You just put me back under the law. Because finally, at the end of the day, I'm not as loving as I'm supposed to be, right? So you can be strict Jews or liberal, unbelieving so-called Christians, and still be under the law. Paul says, my competence is not in this huge education. It's not in some great moralism. It's not in some better way of life and making wonderful disciples of, of some kind of great living. My message is a new covenant of grace in Christ, and it comes straight from the God who brought Jesus to the earth and gave us the message. I'm going to see if I can do this without being losing my job. I don't think I'll break this. I know Adam and it's rich and everybody's going, there's electricity under there. Okay, I'm, I'm watching the plugs. Stay with me. Do you see that? I think, I don't know what's up here. That's just saying, please don't turn this pulpit. It's got wires under it. <laughs> I couldn't see it. There's a Bible verse on here. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills and the Spirit gives life. I take that there about 15 years ago with two other verses, mainly for our vicars who are interns learning to be pastors. I wanted them to see it. You stand up there as a 20-something-year-old man in the church of some senior pastor and you preach the gospel as a competent person who teaches a new covenant. You are competent because of what? The gospel. You stand before God that way. Now that's not just for clerics. That's for you and me. That's not just for Paul who wrote the letter. That's for us, right? Our competency is in the gospel. Let me, let me say it a different way and then I'm going to wrap this up. The church is under tremendous amount of pressure these days, corporately as a group and individually to perform. You, some of you listen to a better preacher than me on the way to church this morning. And others of you will look for one on the way home. Or on Wednesday or any other day. Because you, you can find amazing presentations. Whether they're the truth or not. You are so tantalized like I am. I'm part of the culture. That you... You, you, you are entertained by the best uh, technologically acclaimed people as they put together movies and stories. And, and then we stand up here with our this week prepared thing by ourselves and we're supposed to hold your attention for like, I won't tell you how many minutes, but uh, <laughs> it's, we're, we're under a lot of pressure to perform. And it does a head game on the teacher-preacher in churches. Has for years. Still the same, getting worse. Because of what I just said, they can find so many better preachers. The confidence that we have 
isn't in the performance and the perfection of the presentation. In his first letter to the Corinthians, he said, he said, I'm not eloquent, Paul did. He said, there's eloquent teachers in Corinth, but I'm not one of them. He goes, but I do preach Christ crucified for you. And he goes, that is the power of God and the Spirit of God to bring you to faith in God's love and truth. It's the real thing. So here, in his second letter, he's still saying the same thing. That he's under their scrutiny now. He told them in the first letter, I'm going to be under your scrutiny because I'm not eloquent. Now he's under their scrutiny. And he says, you know what? I've got the real thing. I built you a house. I've got you planted trees and honeybees in the gospel. And I said, come down and sit with me and have with this. And then you had it and we were all changed. And I'm confident before God. And it's not about my education. Isn't that liberating for you, dear Christian, to hear Paul talk that way? Doesn't that give you calmness and peace? We don't have to be something we're not. We can just be Christians and, and just live our lives and speak the truth in love. We don't have to convert anybody, but, we'll, but we love them and so we want them to be converted. But it's, we're not under that kind of law either. We're just the real thing. I said at the beginning of the sermon that it was 50 years ago in July, but there's a much, much bigger date today than 50 years ago. It's, it's 10 times that much, literally. 50 times 10. Casey, are you math guy? 500. <laughs> you might want to learn that before you date Emma. <laughs> I'm teasing. 500 years ago, on this day, this day on the calendar, one of the greatest moments in Christian history outside of Jesus on the cross, I say that unashamedly because at the time, Christianity was mostly in Western civilization. Now there's more Christians in the Southern Hemisphere and the Eastern Hemisphere than there is in the Western Hemisphere. But at the time, the, the, the government of the Holy Roman Empire, with no separation of church and state, was run by a guy in his early 20s named Emperor V. He had been pressured by the Pope and all the older men of the clerics to bring Luther on trial for speaking things against the church. They forgot to check and see if he was actually speaking according to the Bible. And he was. But they thought they could pressure him in. So they brought him in to a court. Back then they called it a diet. I have no idea except maybe when I diet, my wife tells me you're not dieting well, I'm in court. I don't know. But it's a court, not a, it's called a diet. He's at the diet at a town called Worms. So imagine trying to teach a seventh grader. P P Luther took his stand at the diet of Worms. What the person's thinking is, they ate what? Right? So he's at the city called Worms, he's at the court, and the Emperor V is sitting there trying to be bigger than his britches because he's only in his 20s running the Holy Roman Empire. And all the other clerics are pressuring him to put the pressure on Luther. So the uh, Emperor V, Charles V, says, Luther, do you, are these your writings? There's a whole stack of his books that they've collected because they've been collecting them and burning them for a while. Are these your books? Yes, they are. Tell us if you recant the things that you said in those books. And Luther said, can I have a day? That was yesterday on the 17th. And they said, yeah, you can have one night. So then he crafted an answer. And you can find it on the internet. And it's about five minutes long, five minutes read. I'm going to read to you the, in, the end of it. And it's, it's, it sounds so much like what the Apostle Paul is saying to us here. That's why it's appropriate on this day to read it to you. 
since your most serene majesty, talking to Charles V, and remember this room is filled with critics, like Paul was criticized by the Corinthians. Since your most serene majesty and your high mightiness requires of me a simple, clear, and direct answer, I will give one. If I am not convinced by proof from the Holy Scripture, and if my judgment is not brought into subjection to God's Word, I neither can nor will retract anything. For, I, for it cannot be either safe or honest. Remember sincerity in Paul's writing? It cannot be safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. And I just want to stand up and say, it's the real thing. <laughs> That's what they experienced that day. And so did the world. And it was the gospel that he was standing on. It was the gospel of free and full forgiveness and not the philosophy of many church fathers. It was the Bible that had been lost for a long time with its message. Do you think God was happy that day? I bet, right? You think people were saved because of it? You can bet some of the people in that room thought, uh, I think I better pay attention to what he's saying and come and hear the gospel, right? And thirdly, even though Luther lived the rest of his life, he was like 38 and he lived to be 63. So you do the math, maybe 30 years more under the ban and could have been killed at any time and nobody would have been arrested. Do you think he lived a fulfilled life having done that? Even though he really wasn't praised for it? Even criticized? Yeah. What I just did for you is to map out your path for your Christian future in this crazy, mixed up world that's looking for the real thing. You have already discovered the real thing. It's a letter written on your heart and in your life. God is happy when you just speak the truth. You don't have to convert people. Let the truth do it. Right? God will be happy. People will get saved. Because you'll give them the truth that saves. It may not be right in front of your eyes, but it could be later. Think of all the people that have affected you and they don't even know it. And you will feel that fulfillment of having just been God's woman or God's man. Rather than trying to be something you're not for the world. Because, say it with me, it's the real thing. Amen.